Welcome to Amidon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me in this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 87 of the podcast is the co-founder and executive director of the 410 Bridge, Kurt Candler. Now, the 410 Bridge is a Christ-centered, community-initiated development organization. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard me talk about it several times. There's uh, been an episode where I recorded uh, myself and Carissa Chandler while we were on a uh, service trip uh, to Haiti that was uh, a part of the 410 Bridge and our, our work with The Orchard, um, also, uh, which is my church here in town. And then I did some community development stuff. I uh, did a sabbatical with the 410 Bridge because just the way how they operated and worked with communities and schools. I wanted to learn more about that process and got a chance to visit a number of communities. And so I had a conversation with uh, David Sanders uh, when we got back from Kenya. That was a few years ago. Oh, man, that was a lot of years ago. Anyway, this organization and that Kurt co-founded and then now leads has just done a lot for me in thinking about my mindset, how I operate as a teacher, as a teacher educator, and how I work with schools and work with communities. Um, And I'm excited that he's getting a chance to put his knowledge into a book. And I, I say this a lot, but like, I mean, a book is kind of a, an incredible value when you think about all the value and experience and lessons that can be contained within. It's just kind of amazing. So that's like kind of the bread and butter of this podcast is to think about these books and all of this learning that can come from them and think about how do we apply them to teaching better. And so that's going to be the, the source of this conversation. I'm excited for that. I know how busy he is, like uh, internationally busy, I think is a lot more busy than just like teacher busy, which I feel like I am, but the fact that he would carve out some time for this conversation, I just am grateful. And I'm also, uh, want hopefully that all of you out there that are listening, grab his book. There's, there's, I've had a chance to read a big chunk of it and, uh, looking, I pre-ordered his book and I hope you would too. It's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, but Hey, I'm, I'm talking too much. We gotta, we gotta jump into it. But first, as always, we need to do our little disclaimer. Just know that during this conversation, Kurt and I will never be able to communicate the whole value of the book that he has written. And even if we did, it'd be from our perspective. So in other words, if you like what you hear, get the book for yourself. One option is head to bookshop.org, which is a website committed to help local independent bookstores thrive in, in the age of e-commerce. A link to bookshop.org can be found in the show notes of this episode which would be at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 87, where your purchase will not only support local booksellers, but also the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. Or better yet, head down to your local bookseller. Uh, all right, that's it. Here we go. Let's conversation right now with Kurt Candler, who is the co-founder and executive director of the 410 Bridge. Kurt, hey, welcome to Amazon Planet. How are you? Good, Joel. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, hey, Kurt, it's, it's so good to see you. Um, it's been, a, it's been a while. We were just talking before we hit record, like, you know, the pandemic kind of threw some years in between sometimes almost like the, the blip in, uh, Avengers universe. I don't know if you're yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. into that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, our, I remember meeting you at, uh, our church, the orchard, uh, just not a few miles from here. And mm-hmm. you're kind of having a vision for what does it look like for, you know, well, Americans to work within communities. And then now you have a book that you're going to, that you're putting out that's kind of describing that same sort of DNA. It's one, it's just bringing all these memories back. It's like they're coming flooding back. But on the other side, one, it's just great to see you again. And I guess before we jump too far into it, can you just take a quick second to just do a little brief self introduction of you? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm happy to. And, you know, thanks for having me. I mean, it's, it's great to reconnect with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm the executive director of an organization called the 410 Bridge. And the 410 Bridge uh, started about 17 years ago. We get our name from 1 Peter 410. 1 Peter 410 says that everyone should use the gifts they've received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And um, we love that scripture. We love that name. That's our namesake scripture. And uh, essentially, um, <clears throat> I left the business world. Uh, there's all sorts of story around that. It's, you know, some of that is in the book. Yeah. Um, and because I felt that there was a better way after visiting Uganda in a small community in middle of nowhere, rural Uganda, I thought there was a better way to engage the poor. And I knew nothing about extreme poverty at the time. I became a bit of a student of, of it when I got back. 
but I'm a, a kind of a practical, pragmatic, blue collar kind of guy. I was like, you know, how do we actually go solve these problems as opposed to write more white papers about them? Mm-hmm. So that's what we that's what we did. We embarked on this journey of the 410 bridge 17 years ago, and um, and it's been an amazing ride. Yeah, and it, it just you know the influence when you read the the scripture or you recited the scripture, it was uh, I some people might say, hey, that sounds familiar. That's kind of how I end every one of my podcast episodes talking about, um, you know, using the gifts uh, you've been given to serve others. And then we, I, I've done episodes on that, like the influence of 410 Bridge, how you operate. And then, well, I mean, obviously the scripture, but just in how you operate and, and is like the big imprint on what I do. And so, you know, having that idea and and using that as a way to, all right, not only how do I do that, but how do I help others do that as well? And I think that's yeah. kind of the heart of what you all do. I think that um, I think, though, that, you know, most people, when they hear that. Um, they rightly so think, OK, well, God's given me gifts and I spo- I'm supposed to use those uh, to serve others. And that's that's very true. But I think that the thing that I really love about that is, is that we think about the work that we do, mm-hmm. the community development work that we do in communities, in rural developing world countries. We really move that to the community as well. And, you know, they have gifts. Everyone has gifts, but they have gifts that they're that that God wants them to use to serve each other in their community. As opposed to this idea, this is fairly arrogant kind of Western idea that it's, oh, it's us that have the gifts and that we're supposed to go use those to serve them. I got bad news for you. You know, um, they have a lot of gifts that they can use to serve us. And they really need to have uh, use those gifts to serve each other inside their community too. And when that happens, that's where true transformation starts coming from a poverty perspective, where things change in the community because the community is no longer a bunch of people living together in the same community, thinking about me and I, they're really thinking about how do they use their gifts to serve each other in the community, in business, in school, as a family, in church, whatever it might be. And so it's a powerful, powerful scripture that I often think times we just kind of gloss over and we don't really look too deeply into it, but it's, yeah. Yeah. And it was, I guess the, it's almost like the, the book, uh, if you really want to help that you're writing, it's going to, the release date is, I think, February 20th. It's, uh, two weeks. Three two weeks. weeks. Uh, the, uh, the 28th. Yeah, 28th. 28th, right? The end of February. So, I mean, it's almost like, you know, again, going back to maybe my Avengers metaphor, might be tired of it later, but like an origin story. It's kind of like an origin story of like what's how you kind of came about and then like the the behind the scenes sort of practices and things, which was, again, it was an education for me to to read um, and see like what are the how you enter into a community how you operate. But I guess let's let's back up a little bit. How did you how did this um, book come to be? Well, it's a good question. So uh, never I don't see myself as an author. Never thought of myself uh, as one, or nor did I ever think I was going to write a book. Um, but when we really started getting into four ten bridge and really trying to understand and seeing the impact we were having by uh, through the model that we had deployed. You know, people come to you and say all the time, hey, when are you going to write a book about this? Because here you are, you've you've left the business world in arguably, you know, the greatest earning potential years of a, of a person's life yeah. to start a ministry to help the poor. Why did you do that? How did you do that? All of that. And so, um, you know, I, I started the book, um, but I always, I, I never saw the book uh, as a, as a story of me or the origin story of transitioning from, you know, the business sector to, to the ministry. But I I did see it as, um, necessary because, you know, we learned very, very early on, or I learned very, very early on that, you know, we couldn't be successful, um, in helping people, you know, break the barriers, the cycle of poverty in their communities. We couldn't be successful at doing that and working with the poor without support from the West. And we also can't be successful doing our work until we change the paradigm of how the West engages the poor. Yeah. And that's, that's my heart. You know, when I first went to Uganda um, almost now some 20 years ago, you know, that was the thing is my perspective on what I thought poverty was and what I thought the solutions to poverty were uh, were really jacked up. I mean, it was just, it's just, and and then I came back and we started doing this. I started doing this and I realized that 
wow, I mean, I've got to have people really unthink the way they think about solutions to poverty over there. Uh, but, you know, of course, those convey over to here as well on our side of the bridge. But we have to re we have to rethink how we um, the solutions for poverty, the definition of poverty. We have to rethink all of that. And a book is a great way to do that. So uh, that that's the that's the purpose for it, because I, I hope I hope lots of people read it. But I mostly hope that other uh, or the other organizations working with the poor, uh, lots of churches read it mm -hmm. and take a, a really critical look at. Um, you know, the way they do what they do and the way they engage the poor and they decide to, you know, stop doing the things that are unhealthy, that are perpetuating the problem and um, have some humility and think about, you know, how they can do it better. Yeah. And we here at the university, we have like our, our students like talk about as they're developing teachers, like these mile markers on the development of teaching. There's a shameless plug for another podcast that I have there where we have our teachers tell stories of their development, right? Where there's like, here's here's a moment, I asked a question, it assumed some things about a kid, and then that those assumptions were thrown back at me. Uh, he knew, knew much more than what I thought, or blah, blah, blah. There was some sort of aha moment, right? And like, I learned something about teaching. It sounded like at the beginning of the book, you kind of, you're, you're building, there's a picture of you building some brick walls. And it, it felt like that story was like an aha moment for, you know what, this, this isn't right. Like I'm doing this, but there's, there's something here that, that just doesn't feel right about this. What, what, what we're trying, what you're trying to help. You're trying to help. Well, I'm not even trying to help. I'm trying to really help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not Need a school. You know, I'm going to give you, well, let's build a school. Yeah. Well, you know, true. And, um, and that's what I saw. That's when I recognized that not, not only was it not Helping. I mean, it would no, it was helpful. Don't misunderstand. It was right, helping. Right. Yep. Um, but it was of no moment. It, mm -hmm. it, it didn't matter. It was not solving the problem that I thought I was going over there to solve, um, or that needed to be solved. Excuse me, needed to be solved. It was um a need that was going to benefit kids and not solve the poverty problem. And what yeah. the big aha moment for me was, is right. I'm there to solve a poverty problem. I'm not there to solve an education problem, a water problem, a textbook problem, a dirt floor problem. I'm, I'm, I feel like we need to solve the poverty problem. Otherwise, we're just addressing the symptoms and we're not really changing people's lives where they can continue to develop long after we exit. And oh, by the way, we're all going to exit. Mm -hmm. And so are we doing things for people, with people, that will allow them to continue to develop long after their relationship with us ends? And if we're not doing that, well, then we're just perpetuating the problem, in my view. Yeah. And and I guess maybe we even do that, some of that foundational stuff. Like, how do you, when you talk about poverty, like, what do you mean? Like, Because I guess some people, like, they throw that word around and they re aren't really thinking about definitionally, what, is, what are they talking about? Yeah, you know, I... Uh, <laughs> I, I, de I define it uh, more like what it's not than what it is, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, you know, there's lots of definitions for poverty, but I do believe that we rise and fall on our definitions. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to go solve it, that's kind of what in the business world, if you're going to go solve a problem, you better define it well. Otherwise, you're going to implement a solution that solves a different problem. Yeah. Same way here. And so, you know, we don't define poverty as a, a material problem. You know, you know, we define poverty as an issue of worldview. And that rubs a lot of people the wrong way because it's frankly, it's a, it's politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you, my, my whole point there is simply this is if you define poverty as a material problem, then your solutions are going to be all material in nature. Yeah. And that doesn't work. People, the poor are not a set of problems to be solved. They're the solution to their poverty problem. And if you really truly believe that they're the solution to their poverty problem, then you've got to let them lead you follow and you got to help them think differently, have a different conversation in their head, you know, um, not believe the lies of the world um, and help them think differently so that they, they can, un they understand in my view, they understand that God has given them everything that they need to change the quality of their life. And they have to start with what they have. And if you can, can and if you can illustrate to them that, um, you know, God loves them, 
that they were created for a purpose, that they uh, are forgiven, and that they um, they have responsibilities, responsibilities to be godly parents and godly spouses and godly school teachers and godly business owners and godly leaders. When you do all of that in one place, which is what we do, we're a mile deep and an inch wide in the community. When you do all of those things in one place, man, it is amazing what happens. Mm. It, it happens way quicker than I thought. Not where they have exited material poverty, because poverty does have a material aspect to it. There are resources that are necessary. Right. But what I've learned is that, um, you know, this idea of worldview, again, this conversation that that people are having in their head, the story they're telling themselves to be true, the perspective they have, it drives the choices that they make, and those choices drive the actions they take. And therefore, those choices have more to do whether or not a community will thrive or live in deprivation than any anything else. I'm convinced of that. I've seen it too many times. And so in everything we do, everything we do to help the community physically, we are um, layering on top of that and or in integrating inside of that a biblical Christian worldview uh, so that they can continue that journey of development long after long after we we exit that community. Nice. Beautiful. I, yeah, <laughs> I just, uh, again, appreciate that sort of perspective. Cause like those are sort of, I mean, drawing some parallels between the, what we're dealing with in classrooms versus, you know, what you're dealing with, with communities like this deficit perspective and versus an asset perspective on students, right? Like here, the kid can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. But what, you know, th- seeing what they can do, right? And, and dealing with like, what understandings are they showing? And like, there's there's some mindset perspectives and you're talking about like, there is like this, like, or what resources do you have? I mean, there's research to say with within schools, like if they've identified an issue that they need to address, a lot of times the solution exists within the expertise in the school. Like someone has figured something out within a classroom. They just need to be amplified and and shown like, we don't need to look for some, you know, person from a university with a fancy title to come on in and, you know, provide some, you know, sit and get professional development. It could be like, Hey, this is working within the context of this school. How do we then, you know, amplify that within the space? And so, Again, that's there's that's why I mean when I talk about like the when hearing what you're doing and and seeing what or seeing it firsthand what the organization is doing within communities it's it's you see like man there's some secret sauce there that I want to get at to which I think that's what the you know if you want to call it Kurt's secret sauce or four ten secret sauce that you can just bottle that up. <laughs> no, I, I use that phrase all the time. It is the secret sauce, it, uh, and most organizations that I've met. And uh, again, it's not popular, but, you know, I, I I don't mind being a disruption in the space. Yeah. And I would say it's 90 to 95 percent of the organizations out there working with the poor um, don't focus. They, they, they see that they see the solutions. They see the problems as physical and they see the solutions, therefore, as physical. Mm. And then they're and for some reason shocked that when they leave or over a series of a number of years or even decades, nothing's changed. I don't, I don't know why they're surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So when you decide to, to write the book, it, it felt like, so there's another book that I really love. It's about this uh, expert, this teacher who basically documented everything she did and then create a book where it was like, here's how I set up my classroom. Here's what I was thinking about and all these decisions I made. Here's even a class, a discussion I'm having with students. And she actually like documents her reasons for why she called this student and not that student. And like how she asked her next question based off kind of getting inside her head on the reasoning uh, behind, you know, these actions taken. It feels like that's what the book is. When you were thinking about writing the book, was that was that kind of at the back of my like, hey, here's why what we do and why we do it and kind of starting from the beginning? Yeah, I would say I think that's I think that's mostly true, you know, um, because it's uh, well, first, it's a very complicated environment inside these communities, as you might imagine. This is not, yeah. a, not a simple environment. Um, and it's in many times it's just heartbreaking um, that, you know, we're but that's that's what we've been called to do. Yeah, I do think there is there are there is an order to what we need to do and how and when we need to do it. And to me, it starts with, it starts with leadership. <laughs> Excuse me. It starts with leadership in these communities where, um, 
we have to, you know, the speed of the group is the speed of the leader. We rise and fall on strong leaders. And so yeah. in, in our communities, we have to identify the leaders in the community that have a vision for their community. And if we don't start there, nothing that we do is ever going to sustain itself or perpetuate itself. So we start with leaders and we can talk later about how we identify those leaders. But then, it, you know, after we identify those leaders and we've gone through some pretty significant relationship building. Yeah leadership development. We do some assessments, which are pretty cool. Um, we take time, you know, we try to earn the right to be heard, but we really are, are arriving. We're, we're one, we're invited into the community and we're, so they're, therefore we're guests in the community. Yeah. We're coming over the hill to save the day with a bunch of Western solutions. But once we get all of those leaders in place and we build relationship, then it, to me, it, it starts with building capacity for people. And there's physical capacity primarily around water. Uh, if they're walking long distances every day to for dirty water, they, they're unable to start businesses or go to school or address the issues that are going to ultimately be their development. And so it starts with capacity building, both, both with infrastructure and really then human capacity. Do they have the training? Do they know how to run a business? Do they know how to um, improve the quality of educa education in their schools? Uh, do they know how to farm in a you know in a non-traditional way that that improves their yields two to tenfold? Um, and so that that ultimately um, you know that's kind of the that, that's kind of the process where you you know start with leadership, then at a high level, infrastructure kind of physical capacity, then human capacity, and then it's depth of relationship over a long period of time, so that in our model we are impacting an entire community of people, you know, hundreds if not, you know, 1,000, maybe 2,000 households, depending on what, what it might be. Um, and uh, yeah, so there is a sequence to it. And all along the way, it's complicated and you make mistakes. And you, not everything works the same way in every community. So you have to adapt. Culture matters. Yeah. Um, you know, environment matters. All, all that stuff matters. It's, it's super complicated. But at a high level, that's that's how I see it. And I guess what's, you know, the thing that's... Uh, amazing with the model too is like then communities graduate right it's not Hope there's so. not yeah well I, I mean and that's you know it's you know some people might say you know that's looking at well what happens when you leave like what, what would happen if you leave well you have left and like you know communities are there and they're being sustained and like those sustainable solutions yeah i so, would say it doesn't work everywhere and it hasn't right? worked everywhere. and we've had to you know for in our vernacular you know graduation's good exit's bad yeah. We've had to exit some communities because leaders are corrupt or most of the time we've had to exit communities because the West, who was, you know, whomever in the West, another organization or churches that we were working, we were working with come in and they undermine the, the self-development model. Yeah. And then it just it just crumbles the whole thing. When you start paying leaders in their community to be your long term missionary and the rest of the leaders in the community go, well, where, how come I'm not getting paid? Right. If the whole right. thing, just right. A graduation is, is where we have identified outcomes that we're with the leaders in the community identified. When are we finished? When are we finished with water? When are we finished with education? Cause mm -hmm. we can't be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. Yeah. We identify those outcomes. And this is a critical piece, I think to the 410 model and, and kind of why I wrote the book is that we're an outcomes based ministry, not a process based ministry. Mm -hmm. I don't care how many programs we run or people we train or farming program, whatever it might be. Are we achieving the outcomes that are going to establish a community or, or allow a community to get to a place where they can graduate and move forward without us? And so as we start accomplishing those measurable outcomes over time and we start approaching maybe 80 percent of all of those outcomes, we'll start talking to the community about graduating. And that that sounds a lot like, you know, look at how far you've come. Look at what you've done. No, yeah. we've done. Yeah. Look at what you've done. And let's celebrate that. Right. Um, and uh, we'll graduate our 13th community this year in Kenya. Awesome. Uh, forward to the graduation ceremony at the end of this year sometime. It's such a big deal. The whole community comes out and we just celebrate what God's done through this partnership. And then we know when we leave that they are as ready and set as they can be in based on what we can help them with to continue that journey uh, long after we leave. But if we don't start with the end in mind, I would say, if you don't know where you're going, how do you know if you ever get there? Right. Yeah. 
you don't start with the end in mind. It's just, you're just process-based. You're just going to continue to perpetuate the same programs that you feel are helpful and make you feel really good about yourself, but it's not really accomplishing the outcomes that you set out to go do. So yeah. we're disciplined on that. Well, and I, I, I appreciate that. And I also see like the, the, what you just said there with regard to be an outcomes based. And I remember having, you know, conversations, I got a chance to do a semester sabbatical working uh, along with y'all um, on some things. And I just remember having those conversations, like, you know, it's a little different from some of the maybe, uh, well, I'll just say it. You, you'd say it in the book too. You kind of like tell it as it is on some things. I love hearing your voice. I've seen your voice being reflected within the book. And then, but also hearing like, well, how is this, you know, like we're talking about some things and here's some things we could do around education. And I remember you just saying like, Hey, how's that going to move the needle? How's that going to go towards the outcomes that we're trying to get? And it was like, yeah, yeah. Cause that is the goal. <laughs> Not just that we're, we feel like we're doing something. We're just, you know, pushing chairs around a circle or where are we actually going somewhere with what we're trying to do and like good because I mean, those, in and of themselves they're not bad things to do right there's lots of things we can go do the really hard part of our world is deciding what we're not going to go do because it doesn't really drive the outcome but yet the west comes in to a community and they have a passion or a an idea or you know whatever that they that they want to go do but it doesn't doesn't move the community to an outcome of self-development yeah we have to stay really disciplined because that becomes noise. And so we try to put these guardrails in place that keep us focused and driving toward those outcomes. If we're not driving to the outcomes, not that we've defined, but that the community itself is defined, well, then we're just undertaking activity because we want to feel good about what we're doing. Yeah. And that's also not very popular. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess maybe uh, if you want to tell a story, like there's one that I think kind of captures this, like there's an an outcome that was to be achieved to help the community. It was the, the, but the little, the water piece that cost, it was like two shillings per person, but it was like, you said in the story, I'll do a little and I'll set you up, but just like, you probably had the money in your pocket that you could have just, Hey, here's the part that you need to get this water system going. But no, no, no. The more sustainable solution is talking with the community about how to like, just the mindset there. Cause like that, a lot of people would be like, well, Kurt, just, get the part like you know people need good water like i don't know like this the the discipline the the kind of the mindset change there within that story i don't know if you could just i'll, I'll set you yeah, i mean that. that story was is was pretty early on um and it was in a community called gamba in kenya and they had there was a um colonial times borehole that was uh had a really old pump to it and um we came in with the community and, uh, I, if I remember right, re refurbished that borehole and refurbished that pump. And, and it was it was working fine until I showed up or asked about it one time and it was and it was broken. You know, it wasn't pumping water and it and it fed. You know, I don't again, I may be getting the numbers wrong, but let's say yeah. it, it was it, it was uh, serving 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. And um, of course. You know, I don't understand how that doesn't work now. Why, you know, why is it broken? And I'm asking our, our our staff over there. You know, what what happened and why is it broken? Well, there's a there's a part that's broken, and um, they don't have the money to replace it. Well, they charge for water. There's a water committee, and they people pay for water to sustain it. That's all in place. What happened? Well, the the water committee ran off with misappropriated the money. Okay. Well, now it falls in the category of their problem, not my problem. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the community to ask them, you know, to to visit the community, um, you know, I asked them about why the water project doesn't work. And they were all they, they you know, it's strong. And I understand this might sound a little harsh, but they 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 played the victim card. We are the victim of this water committee that absconded with the money. They, the money's gone. We don't have the part and we don't have the water. And, you know, you should you should do something about this. And so when I asked them, well, you know, how much is you know, is that part, they said it was 10,000 shillings, I think. Mm -hmm. is what said. Yep. And I think it actually, I think it served. 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was two, yeah. two shillings. Yep. There you go. And, uh, and they said it was 10,000 shillings and I did, I had that money in my pocket. I mean, 10,000 shillings today is like a hundred, hundred bucks maybe. Um, and, um, but you know, you can't do that because the, the way I say it is look, the problems, the problems that exist in your community here, they don't exist in my community. And the solutions to your problems, they don't exist in my community either. 
The mm-hmm. solutions yeah. to your problems exist in your community right here. And so let's talk about it. And so they, the next day, gathered a big group of, of their community, and I was to address their community, which is really weird, and I don't like doing that anymore. Our staff, our Kenyan staff should be doing that, not me. But at the time, I did. And just asked the question, you know, you know, if, are you saying that you can't get one shilling from every person that this water project serves? And they were saying, no, we can't. We're too poor. And, you know, and finally, they keep on, you know, a couple members of the leadership council were trying to push that agenda. And until finally, it just sounded so ridiculous to them that other leaders came alongside those men and just kind of removed them from the conversation, <laughs> said, we'll, we'll fix it. And uh, to this day, that water project is sustaining itself. And but, you know, it's not just buying the part. They, they needed to remove those leaders from that water committee. Mm-hmm. And they need to put trustworthy people in place. And you got to get that's the mindset that needs to change. Right. When you when you have when you play the victim card, when you have a, a, a problem, when you see yourself as a victim, you're talking to people about all the things that are happening to you and why they should help you because of all the things that are happening to you. And you start looking for people to blame. And our point is we want to flip that around and go, this, this is yours. This is your your project, your community. We're here to help you, but we're not going to do anything for you, but we will do with you. Mm-hmm. So if you can continue to walk the path and continue to self-develop, we're going to we're going to be right behind you, helping you go further faster. But if you're looking to us to do for you, you know, we're that, that's just not who we are. Yeah. And it takes a lot of discipline because it's heartbreaking when communities don't have water. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. 10,000 people are walking four and five hours a day now to go get dirty water. That's heartbreaking. Kids are not going to school. And the easy thing to do is pull the money out of my pocket and solve the problem because, um, you know, I have a love affair with efficiency and time and time has authority. And, you know, time yeah. doesn't have authority over as, as much authority over there as it does with us. And the easiest thing to do is to is to solve their problem for them. And that will not solve the problem ultimately. Well, and this like sort of like this idea of this uh, mindset sort of change um, gets me to thinking about this learning to practice and like what are the lessons from teaching? Because as I'm always thinking about like what are these lessons from teaching? And like this is the perfect thing for like when we talk about the being the guide on the side or the sage on the stage, right? The sage on the stage would be like, uh, I'm going to come in, look, magically waving my $100 so I can buy the part. Thank you. You know, I'll depart. Versus like guide on the side, like, man, how's this, how are we going to get this problem solved? You know, like, and working with them, working with like, so when I'm thinking about working with students on a, a math task, like the easiest thing to do would be to model, Hey, here's how you do it. Now regurgitate that on your paper. Right. And just like, now they're just using my solution style on theirs. And like, they only know one way to, to do things. And now when they're approached with something from a little bit different perspective, like they throw your hands up when where's, where's Dr. Amidon to help me solve this problem. And saying it, it's, I mean, very different consequences and everything. If someone doesn't solve a math problem versus somebody doesn't fix a, a water pump, but it's a similar mindset of like the easy thing to do would just do it for them. <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes in, in where, Hey, I want to feel like I'm helping, but I'm really, what I'm doing is providing some, I'm kicking a problem down the, on the, down the road where they don't think that they can do it on their own. They just think they could do it if I'm right next to them. Um, and, and not being able to, to solve the problem on their own. And when it comes to kind of humanitarian work or working with the poor or whatever you want to call it, I mean, there is another dynamic that comes into play where the the sage on the stage, as you as you call the person, the person that wants to come in and, and solve the problem, um, it's got an unhealthy perspective. Uh, and the way that the way that we say it is, is that we have to separate what we give and how we give it from our need to feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Because it feels pretty good when I can pull the money out of my pocket and solve their problem, and they're going to be—they're going to think I'm great, right? And but that's—that really isn't solving the problem. And we always have to. It doesn't mean that we don't help, right. because we help a lot and we help with a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. But it's how we help that makes all the difference. Who's the hero in this story? It mm-hmm. cannot be us, and it can't be me walking into a community and being the hero for their water project. And I will tell you, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. I'm in I'm in communities and I see heart wrenching issues, and I'm constantly trying to process. I was in Guatemala this past week, uh, and I was uh, visiting a home in a community that we work in in Guatemala, and a woman named Celia and her daughter Erica. Da- Erica is 28 years old and she's completely disabled. Um, 
and uh, can't walk, can't talk. And her mom is, Celia is burdened every day by just caring for her daughter. And she's got to go work. She's got to go care for her animals. She's got to go farm. She's got to do whatever. And she doesn't have water coming to her home. And, you know, this is a place where we're called to help. You know, for me to go, oh, this is really bad. I hope I hope our development work in your community sweeps you up and improves your condition. No, 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 no. That's not right. We can help. The question becomes, how do you help? Mm-hmm. So as we were, I was talking to the people that we were with, they're saying, well, Kurt, what aren't you going to do anything? What can't we, can't we do something? Um, and so we can absolutely do something. We can figure out how to get Erica sponsored and we can figure out how to get work with the leaders to bring, you know, water to her home and so forth. But we're going to do that through the local church and through the leaders mm-hmm. where she's not going to think it's us. She's going to think that the local church is helping her. We can help the local church help her so that the local church is the hero of the development effort. And oftentimes we get swept up in emotion and we want to be the hero, not let the local church be the hero. And we just help immediately. And then what happens is, is that they continue to look, you know, they may continue to look to outsiders to solve their problems for them, as opposed to allowing the opportunity for the local church to come alongside people and be the church in the community and help them. And so there, there are oftentimes people confuse when I say we got to separate what we give and how we give it from our need to feel good of ourselves about ourselves. They confuse that with, well, you, you can't help. No, you absolutely can help. We need help. But, but how you do that is less about you and more about, um, you know, the church, the, the leaders in the community, and we just should be invisible. Yeah. And I don't know. And I guess in the, in the text, you, you know, just doing a little bit, few more connections to teaching in the text, you, you're, you're helping the community learn a little bit about themselves and learn a little bit about how you will operate. And there's several, like, I guess, metaphors or, uh, your other assessments that you like the 10 C's assessment, or I'm thinking about the rope metaphor. I mean, like, like using those sorts of like tangible sort of, uh, yeah, tangible lessons. It's almost like object lessons, like within your work with them. I don't know if you could, you want to pick one to, to talk about, but I, I really like how like those sorts of things, like, is like, it, it's almost like a message between yourself and the community and like how you're going to operate. I don't know if you wanted to pick one of yeah, those. Yeah, you know, I think I think the cult, I mean culture matters, right? The, my favorite one is is probably the rope, um, yeah. just because it, it it starts it's early on in the relationship. We're talking to the leaders, and you know when 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 Four Ten Bridge shows up in a community, you know we're an international NGO. Uh, people people think we have a, a bunch of money. We don't, um, and. But when we show up in the community, the leaders see a dollar sign in our forehead. Mm. They're here to come and do projects for us. And we're here, they're coming in to do for us. And we have all these things that we need, and they're going to help us do those. And so we very early on uh, try to flip that flip that perspective by we never talk about needs. Uh, what we, we start the conversation with, Things like uh, I get it, I did it last week in Guatemala. You know, like, what do you love about living in your community? If if I were going to move to your community, tell me why I would want to live here. Yeah. And let's make a list of all those really great strengths that you have. What do you guys do so well that you could teach others? And they start thinking about all the positive things about their community, not their necessarily their needs. And then I, you know, we have, and our, our staff does, and I've done it many times over the years, you know, if I have a rope, hopefully I have a physical rope with me, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll have one of the leaders stand up and, you know, they'll grab one end of the rope and I'll grab the other end of the rope and we'll pull that rope tight. And I'll just simply say, look, this is our relationship. You know, if you're in need and I throw you a rope and you have one end and, and, and I have the other, um, but then I try to push you, we're not, we're not going to go anywhere. Mm. But if you pull us, you can lead, uh, and we follow. You're a good leader, and we want to follow with you. We can go a long way together, but you have to pull. And that means you're, one of your biggest responsibilities as leaders of your community is to mobilize and unify your community around this development effort. Because if the community doesn't participate, why should we? If they don't participate, they're not going to own their solutions. They're going to see them as solutions from outsiders. And so community participation is a big, big, big fundamental uh, philosophy or guiding principle that we have. And it's up to the leaders 
to make sure that they mobilize and unify their community around that effort. And that means they got to pull, they got to pull their community and they got to pull us with whatever direction they're going. And that, that really resonates. They love that. I mean, I, I mean, it just, it's an object lesson that makes sense. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious. So they, they, you know, it, it goes a long way. Is there, and I'll just, I'm just, this one's out of left field. And I'm just curious. I know that sometimes you talk about like having like an issue or something that they'd like to address in the community, getting the community to agree on something. Um, and I know a lot of times there is a water project or something that's in need, but is there something that like, that's been surprising? Like, like if you, like, again, taking that perspective of coming in from the outside, oh, you obviously need this. Is there ever been something like from, you know, your perspective, like, huh, I we never would have come up with that, but that is something that is needed. They said that's something they need, and yes, it is something they need now that we understand it. Is there anything that was kind of surprising that way? I don't you know. know um, there, I, I've been surprised a few times, um, but, you know, most of our communities are pretty, That you know, it's the same four or five big rocks that need to get moved. You know, yeah. it, again, it depends on the country. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the story. Uh, it was actually in Honduras, and we were in Honduras with a, another organization that asked us to come in and kind of teach them how we do what we do in Honduras. And, um, you know, we're at the top of this mountain. Uh, it's coffee country. It's dairy farming country, but it's way up. It's a, you know, it's a 30-minute drive up really bad roads, mm. maybe longer than that. <clears throat> and when the um, when the community leaders were there and there were probably 20 of them and we were surrounded by hundreds of community members um, listening to the meeting. We were going through this, this process of, um, you know, assessments and, you know, the rope analogy and all of that. But then we, you know, we ultimately get down to, well, look, if you could change one thing in your community, what's the one thing that you would change? Uh, you only can choose one and you 20 leaders. I want you to think about it individually, not as a group. Yeah. And so they, and we, we may even have them write it down and they say, uh, and they write them down. And then and there's five, six, seven different things that everybody's, is their one thing. Mm -hmm. And we, we ask them to work as a group to figure out, well, what is the one thing? There only can be one thing that you're going to want to change. What is it? And we figured it was going to be water or yeah. economic jobs, whatever it might be. Right. And it was their road. And well, we don't do roads. I mean, I, roads are a government function. We don't, we don't, yeah. have any, you know, and they said, no, we, you know, it takes, uh, we can't get our produce. We, we're, we're hardworking here. We have uh, coffee and dairy and livestock. We can't get it to the market because mm -hmm. the roads are so bad. But what we do, and so that was a big surprise. Yeah. The other big surprise was, and I mean, it made sense and it doesn't matter what, what it was. It's, it's, it's their community. It's, yeah, yeah. it's their priority. It's not mine. But then what was really interesting about that was we then do an empowerment uh, called an empowerment analysis. And if you can imagine three concentric circles, uh, and then we give them uh, 10 seeds, 10 coffee beans, 10 little stones, whatever, 10 little, I'll call them 10 seeds. And we say, hey, look, in the very center circle here, this is the amount of the road solution that you can you that the community can do on its own, and then the, the middle band is the amount of the road solution that you need help from outsiders, and then the outer band, the last band on the outside, is the amount of the solution that's beyond anybody's control. If we need water and it doesn't rain and the river dries up, it's out of our control, right? And so take these ten seeds and distribute them across these three bands to tell us how much of this community can do on its own, how much do you need help from outsiders, and how much do you feel like is beyond anybody's control? And when we give them those seeds, now they have a bit of a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, if they put too many in the center, they're going to think the, this, this organization, this NGO that just came in is going to think that we don't need their help. <laughs> if we put too many in the middle band, they're going to think that we're helpless, mm -hmm. and therefore they're not going to help. And if we put too many in the outer band, they're going to think we're hopeless and then they're not going to help. And so they're moving them all around and they're talking and moving them and moving them and moving. And so they they finally um, settled on, if I remember right, they settled on 40% of the solution they thought they could do on their own. And 60% was uh, needing help from outsiders and none of it was you know out of their control. And they think, I, when, when we, whenever we do this empowerment analysis, people at the end think, well, okay, this is a good answer. Now they're going to come help us. But the question is, is that, is, well, if you can do 40% of this solution on your own, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Yeah. What are you waiting for? 
are you waiting for the outside organization to come in and do the 60% before you do the 40%? I mean, again, we're not here to do anything for you. We're here to do with you. And that struck a chord in those leaders like I'd never seen before to the point where two months later, I showed back up in the community with this organization and we're just going to go revisit that. And they had the road done. And I, the road's done. And I'm like, how'd you get the road done? They said, well, you, it, we have never thought about it that way before. Yeah, we, we could do 40%, but we knew who the outsiders were and it was the mayor. It was the government. So we went down there and said, we'll pay for the driver and we'll pay for the fuel. If you just give us the heavy equipment, we'll do the road ourselves. But if you hadn't come in and done that exercise for us, we wouldn't have thought that way. <laughs> well, that's a bit of a little example of, you know, worldview shift. How people yeah, yeah. The story they were telling themselves to be true is that we couldn't do it on our own because we need somebody from outside to come in. And the reality was, is that you know, 100% of the solution was their responsibility because they needed to find the outsiders to come in and help do the part they couldn't do on their own. Yeah. And so that was a, that's a great story. I think that's in the book. It's yeah. a great story. And it was a surprise to me. And um, we never even did work in that community because we were just visiting and they already done a major project on their own. And it was, you know, super exciting. That's beautiful. Um, and I, I thank you for your time, Craig. I'm going to, I want two other ones and then we'll, we'll cruise from there. Uh, but I want to make sure people have a chance to, we'll, we'll put all the links to uh, both 410 bridge, all the opportunities that are there to, um, to do some, some good help. And then also to, uh, to pre-order the book as well. But um, when you wrote it and when you write a book, I'm, I'm guessing there's a reflective practice. Is there anything that's influenced you after writing the book or what insights have you gained in writing the book? Did anything like, huh, I never thought about like that after the, doing this sort of reflective practice? Yeah, throughout, throughout the book, what I found that was a surprise to me and, you know, anybody that's written a book is probably going to go, well, that's obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me is that when you, you know, I can talk, uh, I can talk about what we do uh, as I did with you. And you know, as you were going over there and helping us, I mean, I, you know, I can, I can talk about all that we do, but when you write it down and you have to write down what you really think about something, you better be sure about what you're writing, yeah. writing and um, and so that's what took me a lot of time. I mean, I really had to be uh, I wanted to be intellectually honest. It's like, what do I what do I what do I really believe about this problem, the solution and what we're doing? And, um, you know, does it make sense? So I, I as opposed to just writing down talk track or narrative that I've been saying for years, you know, it's different when you write it down for the world to read. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a surprise. Uh, reflectively, I'm. You know, I, I'm surprised to say this, frankly, because I'm I'm, I'm my worst critic, but uh, I'm really pleased with it. I'm I, I believe I've said everything that God wanted me to say in it. Um, uh, I, I hope people read it, especially insiders in this space. You know, read it and and question what they're doing and and why they're doing it and and try to do it a little bit better or a lot better in some cases. And so, you know, reflectively, I'm I'm pleased with it, and um, I'm you know proud of it. So, I, I, that's also a bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess too, when you put it out there, and you you you're putting it out there, and people can or might take it, you know, like, hey, there's a lot of reasoning out there. Like, hey, here's here's a blueprint, maybe, and they take it up. What cautions do you have for those taking up this work? I mean, kind of got kind of heard a little bit, but I'm I'm guessing what what's as you put it out there in the world, what what cautions do you have? What cautions do I have? Huh. Um, I, I guess I would, uh, one, first thing that pops in my mind is I would, I would caution people not just to summarily dismiss it because it's hard. Mm. Um, I have many conversations with organizations that have been working in countries for a long time. And, uh, you know, Haiti is a great example. And, and it's just easier Frankly, it's just easier for them to continue to do what they've been doing for years and just feel pretty good that they're that they're helping. Um, but they're not really helping. And uh, if you really want to help, you got to take a really hard look at what you do and why you're doing it. And are you achieving the outcome that you originally set out to go do? And if you're not, then you need to change. And so don't just summarily dismiss it because it's difficult. Um, and the other the other caution I would I would say would be. Um, you know, well, maybe it's the same as summarily dismissing it, but just, you know, you know, temper your, your criticism of 
well, that wouldn't work in this country or that wouldn't work in this culture. I mean, there's a con concept here that I want people to walk away with. And that is, is that in my view, I have seen too much to this point not to believe with all my soul that a Christian biblical worldview is the ultimate secret sauce to solving the poverty problem. There, here, uh, we're having conversations here in our society around poverty and all that, that we ignore the worldview aspect of it. It is all physical. And the more we go down a, a secular path where we're all just cogs of the wheel and it's all random and it doesn't matter, that's just, that's just a lie. Yeah. And it doesn't work. And, you know, uh, that's the big takeaway that I that I that I want them to walk away with, because I can do water. We can do water and health and education and economic empowerment. All of those are really important. But when you teach someone to how to run a profitable business, you also need to teach them what God says about money. Yeah. And what God says about generosity and what he says about the relationships with your neighbors, because your neighbors are your customers and you can't have a successful business without customers. And if everybody in the community hates you because you're a cheat and a liar and you're not trustworthy, you're not going to have a successful business. Right. And um, people will listen to that um, in our, in our communities. People will listen to that because it's relevant, relative, relevant to them because they want to be a successful business person. And they'll listen to God's truth in that environment. And then the church becomes all of a sudden more attractive to them as opposed to the house of no, or the place that they don't think that they need to go. Yeah. It becomes attractive, and and where it works, man, it it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, awesome. Um, I I got to ask this one because you, I think you're an expert teacher. Like the with what you do and and how you're presenting the stuff in the book and the interactions we've had and the way I've seen you interact uh, within communities. And I guess what is the best thing you have learned to help you teach better? Because I, I I love the I love your teaching, and I just. Well, you're, 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 that's, that's unbelievable. I've never, I've never heard that in my whole life. I know. But, um, and I'm a doctor, Kurt. Come on. I'm telling you. <laughs> you know better. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, uh, you know, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know that I even have an answer for that. I would, I would ask, I think you'd have to ask people that have been on the other side of me to tell you like, well, well you know, why was, why was that valuable? I just feel like, you know, one, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. Mm -hmm. this topic. And I'm, um, I, I also think that I, um, I want more than anything, I want people to understand that the poor, again, are not a set of problems to be solved. They're people. And they want the same thing for their families and their kids. Many, as in many cases, again, culture matters, but, uh, as, as we do. And, um, Gosh, help! The, the, nothing more powerful that we can do for people than to empower them. But they have to embrace that empowerment. You cannot empower somebody against their will. They have to. They have to claim it. And so, how do we work to help them claim it? And uh, I want that's what I don't know how I teach that or how I explain it. You know, I'll just point to God on that one and just say He gives me the words to speak. But it's it's certainly not. My daughter's a, a, a sixth grade math teacher. There's a special place in heaven for her. But um, <laughs> like her already. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I could never do that. I could never do. I don't think I could do what you do. I just like people to I want to challenge people to think through their assumptions on what their their solutions are and and get better at what they're at what they're doing, no matter what, it, no matter what it is. Just yeah. we need, all can get we all can get a little better. Well, I think and, and you mentioned like you give honest feedback too. you like you're you're, you're not hiding things and in, in talking about it. and sometimes when you're reading something in the book you're like wow he's kurt said that but like that was the ultimate that was the loving thing to say if what don't or, or the loving thing to do like the what, what are you waiting for like that that waiting that question is the the loving thing to say that's the you know <laughs> that's unconditional love right there otherwise like you'd be hurting them by not asking that question right yeah and i think that's where the people that that my, you know, I tell people all the time, now, look, I'm very direct. I'm very blunt. I'm sorry. So just offer me a little grace. And they say, no, 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 it's, it's okay. Be, please be direct, you know, until I am, <laughs> And then it's like, you know, whoa. Um, but, you know, the people that have the most difficulty with a statement, like, what are you waiting for? I think are the very people that see the poor as incapable. 
and therefore no. I'm being too harsh. Mm. I don't see them that way. No. I see them as amazingly capable. Absolutely. And um, our job is to help them realize that, to claim that, and to go do for themselves. And that's the greatest gift that we can give them. Do they need water? They sure do. They need an education building? They sure do. And we can do that. But if that's all we did, if we help people temporally, but we don't help them eternally, uh, what, what good are we doing? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, Kurt, we got the book coming out February 28th. We can promote that. We have um, opportunities at Fort Tenbridge. Anything, anything you want to specifically promote outside of the, the book? Well, yeah. Any I'm, concerts I, you're doing any in the near future? No. <laughs> any concerts? Any? No. Uh, no. Are you talking about the Daraja Children's Choir? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they haven't been over here in a while. I didn't know if that's what you were referring to because that was a while ago. But um, I, would, I would say that, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to, um, see it firsthand. If you, you know, professionally, this is in your sweet spot and you want to go actually see our work um, on the ground, meet our staff, meet the leaders in the community, see firsthand how we do what we do and the impact that it has on actual people struggling with extreme poverty. You should reach out to me and, you know, jump on a vision trip with us or jump on a trip with us and, and go visit that. The other thing is, is that that's not the case, but you are, you know, you have a heart for the poor and you want to help. There's no, there's no better way, I think, to stay connected with a group of people and watch a community develop than to sponsor a child, walk with that child or the, over the course of their education and stay connected to them as they are on that journey of development. And so I'd, I'd love to have people, uh, you know, think about that, even if yeah. they can't go. You can sponsor Absolutely. a child. There's a little thing they can do, something little that they can do. You know, it's a, you know, it's a Starbucks a week for a month, whatever it might be. And it's nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's what I would, that's what I, how I'd answer that. Yeah. And I'll, again, I'll put links to all those opportunities. Um, I appreciate that. In the, uh, in the notes for the show. So um, Kurt, I, you've been very generous with your time and then also just very generous with putting your thoughts into a book. I think having a book that captures someone's again, like getting inside your head and like thinking about how much thought you put into these words and the fact that, uh, what the price of a book is, it's like you're getting a, a little piece of somebody. So like, I I'm very excited that, uh, again, your generosity and sharing the book, your generosity, in your time today. And just thank you. Well, I'm the one that's grateful. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you inviting me on. I appreciate the questions. I appreciate, let me just saying, you know, let me say what's on my mind. I, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, you know, thanks to your audience for listening. I feel like I want to keep going with content after that conversation with Kurt, but it's selfish because I, I just want to give my little spins on his book. But the, the big thing I would say is just go get his book. There's just so much good stuff in there, especially if you're someone that's uh, you know, service oriented and you're trying to interact with spaces and even thinking about if you have influence over places that like help serve the community and really thinking about what kind of help you're providing and really doing it with a, uh, a mindset towards, you know, like what's in the title book, if really wanting to help or you just want to make yourself feel better. And I think that's, that's, there's a difference, right? Is like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of mission trips and things where, you know, is there help really being done? Are we, is stuff being done with dignity as the community's leading? And I think that's, what's kind of cool with what, um, I see with the work that the 410 bridge has done. Um, so anyway, a lot more can be said, but best thing, best advice I can give is to get the book and, and Hey, uh, there's all sorts of opportunities to support the 410 bridge and, and become more acquainted with, how they work with within communities. So a lot of those links are going to be in the, sh well, those links will be in the show notes. So you can head to amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 87. Um, and, and just take a look. And then some of you might look at the book or look at these resources and you might have questions, comments, suggestions, whatever. Hey, you know what you, you can do with those? You can send them to joel at amazonplanet.com. We're always looking for stuff for the mailbag. Um, so if you have any, any, again, questions, comments, suggestions, you can send them my way. Uh, love to respond to some of those. Some of those we respond to uh, in the podcast episode. So go ahead and send those on. You can also subscribe, rate, and review and share this episode with folks if you're looking for a way to support. So more people that are looking for similar content can find it. Uh, it's always excited to see that every month it seems like the number of listens are, are going up, which is kind of amazing. And that's because 
you know, just some minor sharing on social media. Otherwise, it's word of mouth. So really thankful for all of you that are listening out there. As always, you can follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. Um, and then finally, check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. All right, thanks for spending time on Amazon Planet. Thanks to Kurt Candler for sharing his time and expertise and his book uh, with the world. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.